Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, leading experts John DiPersio, Saar Gill and Rizwan Romi discuss the challenges of CAR-T therapy in acute myeloid leukemia, covering several topics including the benefits of CAR-NK cell therapy, novel treatment strategies and more. Our, our session today uh, primarily focused on cellular therapies for um, acute myelogenous leukemia. And uh, we all acknowledge that there are challenges that need to be overcome um, using uh, effector cells consisting of um, either T cells or other effector cells such as NK cells. So I'm sitting here with Sar Gill, who's uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, and Rizwan Romi, who's at uh, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. I'd say we have overlapping but distinct um, uh, perspectives on some of the challenges of treating AML. So uh, maybe, sorry, you could jump in and start off. Sure. Thanks, John. I think that um, one of the um, interesting observations that I think we all made uh, on on this session is that. AML should be an immunoresponsive disease. After all, we all know very well that a standard of care for AML, at least for, for consolidation, is an allogeneic stem cell transplant, which is primarily immunotherapy. Um, and yet we've all noted through individual ways, including one of our colleagues who's, who's not here presently, that um, using different modalities of immunotherapy, be they bispecifics, be they CAR T cells, um, that the, the response are less than what we expect <clears throat> and we all um, have observed again in in both uh, as yet unpublished as well as, as as publications that there is seems to be a very interesting interaction between the the tool the t-cells essentially and AML or and or the the um, the microenvironment, an interesting interaction that may ultimately actually not be to the benefit of, of the administered immunotherapy, and something that that we need to resolve. And so, in the, in that context, I was actually very interested that 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 Rizwan um, has has worked on NK cells, which which have similarities as well as differences from from T cells with respect respect to their um, to their effective functions. So uh, Rizwan, so um, I, what, can you comment on that? Because I'm, it's, NK cells are, you know, uh, obviously they've become the darling of um, many around the world who are looking for alternatives for CAR T cell therapy, both in the context of um, uh, toxicities, right? I mean, with uh, with the limited data out there, there seems to be. Uh, likely less toxicities in patients and certainly that's of interest. Number two is that they work um, when they're appropriately redirected to targets and so they're effective, uh, they make a lot of gamma interferon but they're associated with low toxicity so I wonder if you could comment on that. No, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question and an and observation that they are um, and which is kind of well acknowledged um, now through multiple studies that NK cells and NK cell cars uh, don't seem to cause as much cytokine release syndrome and possibly not cause 
any neurotoxicity as well. And that may be related to the fact that the cytokine profile, and you showed some elegant data in that regard, that the cytokine profile or otherwise secretome of NK cells seems to be different than T cells. Um, what was striking from your one unpublished data slide was the IL-6 secretion. It was profoundly low or non-existent from the NK cell cards, even though the construct was the same, target was the same. And uh, yet, we know that in gamma, you know, NK cells produce uh, plentiful. Um, in our own observations um, from the clinical trials, um, patients who have had up to 80% plus in their bone marrow before undergoing NK cell therapies, they don't seem to cause um, CRS, which is pleasantly surprising, but that may be, again, related to the fact that the secretome is different. Now, that um, you know, kind of is well-established as a safety-wise, but what is not well-known um, and is something which we all uh, in the NK cell field are striving to do is, is persistence. I think T cells in general, uh, especially the memory T cells, they can persist for a long time. There was a recent elegant paper from University of Pennsylvania where someone who received CAR T cells for CLL, almost a decade later, there were some CD4 uh, positive CAR T cells still persistent and still functional, which is quite dramatic. Um, that kind of data does not exist on the NK cell side. Now, having said that, there's this recent observation that NK cells can achieve memory-like phenotype, and at least those subsets do seem to persist for longer period of time, but still not years, maybe one or two months. And I think there's a big push to enhance the persistence of NK cells after adaptive transfer. It's a lot to learn. Um, NK cells are, in terms of knowledge in terms of basic science knowledge maybe a decade um, earlier um, that compared to the T cells. Um, I think there's a lot to learn about NK cells and that's an exciting opportunity as well as um, you know in terms of intervention a um, lot to do actually. Yeah I mean one of the things that I am um, you know interested in is sort of the actual ability to expand um, for NK cells versus CAR T cells is less. But I have to say that, you know, look at some examples of um, uh, diseases that can be effectively th uh, treated without a lot of expansion. For instance, well, the few NK cell patients that were treated with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, the actual level of expansion in those patients was not nearly what you see with CAR-Ts, but they seem to have their disease go away. The other group of patients I thought were, were kind of interesting were, you know, the, the patients that get CTLs. I mean, they're, they're, they're mismatched, largely HLA mismatched. They often are infused in the absence of lymphodepletion. It's wild. And then they, they over a long period of time, they can eliminate very aggressive B-cell lymphomas, you know. So, and they, and they have been shown to not really expand very much. Certainly, they get to the tumors and they eliminate the tumors, but I don't know if you have to expand rapidly to uh, do what needs to be done. So, that's why I think there's also, um, really reason to believe that NK cells will be a, a really great alternative going forward. You just have to transduce them efficiently. So what's been the problem with transduction? I think over the years, you know, people have kind of stuck to using or uh, trying to use uh, VSVG serotype antivirus, and um, some of our data now clearly shows that that's not the right choice for transducing NK cells. There have been several recent elegant papers showing that if you serotype um, antivirus with 
um, ACT2 targeting glycoprotein, which is the baboon animal glycoprotein, and there's also some others, then you can get the lentivirus construct in. Now, having said that, there are other groups uh, which are using retroviruses and um, using different other glycoproteins for serotyping. But in, 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 in summary, I think in the last couple of years, we have seen that there are uh, ways to get different constructs, be it lentivirus, retrovirus, some efforts also um, sleeping beauty um, based transduction methods. And I think uh, we're going to only see expansion of um, NK cell cards and other gene editing because of the advances we have made recently. Any insights into the best endo domains in these cells? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, there was one study which actually compared in NK92 cell line um, different endodomains, and the winner was the one which had NKG2D transmembrane domain and 2B4 based intracellular activation domain. Having said that, that particular comparison was made in NK92 cell lines, and as you know, not everything which we observe in cell lines translates to actual primary cells. In our unpublished data, when we did the comparison, actually 2B4 versus the 4-1-BB um, based intercell, it worked equally well. So um, there is an uh, there is a paper coming out from MIT group where they have done carpool approach. It's pre-published right now. Um, all I can say is that they looked at multiple, multiple endodomains in T-cells, CAR T-cells, and still the 41 BB and CD28 uh, topped uh, the list, which is interesting. Sar, um, for, for, I think that I can, I can safely say that you've demonstrated proof of principle that uh, CAR T to an AML target works in some patients. So why doesn't it work in all patients that express the target? I wish I had the answer for that. Um, the things that we are looking at are <clears throat> um, you know, I think the obvious ones are, do we, well, we have the antigen, is it expressed at the high levels in the responders as it is in the, in the responders as it is in the non-responders? The answer, I think, is that's not the problem. Um, the way we're thinking of it systematically, John, is the, is, is it patient factors, microenvironment factors, T-cell factors, um, or the CAR construct. And so I think we've isolated the CAR as not being responsible. I think um, with appropriate preclinical controls, we've shown that, um, that that works just as well. And so it leaves us with T-cell, disease or patient microenvironment and we're doing some studies now to um, in a reductionist fashion which appear to be with preliminary um, data appear to be pointing us actually towards the t-cell a, a t-cell based lesion a t-cell based if you like um, problem with respect to that and so conceivably patients whose t-cells are better are more fit younger um, have experienced less dysfunction as a result of their aml or its treatment are ones who are the ones who are going to have better response so that's what we're trying to run down now. So like NK cells, you think that means that the future of CAR T cell therapy for AML is going to be an off-the-shelf approach? That, so that, thank you. That's that, I, you know, I think when I, I've sort of said this publicly a number of times, and actually this is the first time that someone has really nailed the sort of inherent um, the inherent uh, logic, if you follow that logic to its conclusion, then the answer should be off-the-shelf healthy donor. Mm -hmm. 
And as you know, there are studies now being done with off-the-shelf healthy donor T-cells in AML that, that may give us the answer to that. Yeah, that's great. Um, one of the things that um, I also um, was struck by is that um, CRS is a big problem in um, either bispecific therapy or CAR T-cell therapy for AML. And you know we've been working on that. But it is an annoying uh, kind of problem that is coupled with low response rates, high CRS rates. So one of the issues is that for bispecifics, um, you can just stop them. And, and that's what you end up doing a lot of the time. In many of the bispecific trials, what's happening is that you, the drug is being given, and the patients get severe CRS, it's stopped. And so then, then you start it again. Um, and so you're, you're doing this stop and start all the time, which probably doesn't provide the best chance for eliminating the disease. So CRS is a major problem. And then the other thing is that in addition to that, the, CR, the, the response rates are really um, terribly low, much lower than you would expect. And when you take these same AML cells that are not, um, you know, you, you can't really induce an effect um, in, a, uh, in, a in a patient, and then you take them and inject them into a mouse and then use normal T cells, um, you can kill those uh, AML cells just perfectly. So there's got to be some environmental impact on the um, T cell responses, which is profound and really prevent optimal responses. So um, I'm wondering also, um, we didn't talk about this, but I'm going to ask you, um, what is the future of macrophage cars? Since you published a nice paper um, in Nature Medicine, I believe. Biotechnology. Uh, yeah. Nature bi Biotechnology, looking at using a novel effector cell for the treatment of various cancers. And especially, I think you're interested in solid tumors. So I yeah. wonder if you can talk about that. Yeah, sure. Thanks, John. I, 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 um, so I think that specifically the problem with macrophages for myeloid malignancies, as you well know, is since we st the starting cell population is more a monocyte, we don't necessarily know that the monocytes we're getting from our AML patients, in fact, they're likely to be, they may well be malignant, particularly AML or, or myelodysplastic syndrome. So I'm not sure that myeloid malignancies are going to be where I would test macrophage, autologous macrophage therapeutics. Having said that, there may be some, you know, some, some data from others on, 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 on utilizing macrophages in, in myelodysplastic syndrome, for example. Um, on the other hand, Macrophages have an interest, two, two very different um, effective function modalities compared to T cells or NK cells, which is they don't tend to kill by granular, uh, granular um, exocytosis, but rather by phagocytosis and antigen presentation. And it is the latter that I think is particularly interested in solid tumors because these cells will not only gobble up your, your cancer cell, but also break it down and then present antigens to T cells and thereby by induce a, a broader immune response. Yeah, so that cross-presentation might be very important as a sort of a pseudo-vaccination kind yeah. of approach. So, um, yeah, so the, the, the other thing that I wanted to uh, point out was um, 
you know, with your stuff, uh, Rizwan. So w what do you think, um, are you moving forward with this NPM1 approach? No, tell, uh, tell me what you Absolutely, I think we have seen promising activity in, in, in vitro and preclinical mouse models. So we are working on a clinical trial where we'll test this product in patients with relapsed refractory AML, either before transplant, meaning they fail the uh, chemotherapy, or who have relapsed after transplant. Uh, I remain optimistic because of two reasons. One, we will use the memory-like um, platform, which on its own, uh, without any gene editing, has shown uh, modest to promising, um, at least uh, temporary, um, ability to induce remission in patients with lapsed refractory AML, including now after transplant. And then if we arm these, so my hypothesis is that if we arm these cells further with, with a car which directs towards the new antigen derived from the NPM1 mutant gene, uh, we should see enhanced um, efficacy of that product. So we are optimistic about it. Um, uh, I think the biggest hurdle has been um, vital vector, because the vital vector involved is baboon-based, and um, uh, there aren't many vendors right now which are making that uh, lentivirus. So we are moving forward slowly and steadily. Uh, but yes, absolutely, we remain committed. I like the idea also because, you know, you know, we always think about why people relapse with AML. But uh, my question is why are people cured with some kinds of AML? And so obviously you're considering a cellular therapy in a class of AML, even though they're relapsed, that traditionally is better and more biologically amenable to therapy. So uh, I think if this is going to work, it might work best in, uh, in the NPM1 mutated uh, AMLs that you're focused on. So I'm excited to see how this goes. The, the other is, um, you know, obviously we've all um, gone down this rabbit hole and probably I've I've dug one of the deepest holes in the world looking at novel and looking for novel antigens to go after an AML both using proteomics approaches and uh, genomics approaches and I'm wondering um, sorry I know you've done a little of this what what is your thought are there are there any um, uncharted territory there have we figured everything out and there just aren't any really uh, differentially expressed antigens on AML so I, I think we, we might have both started digging at the same time I'm surprised we haven't met in the middle somewhere deep underground actually um, I for the moment have lost some some enthusiasm for doing that and, and that's because um, I, I don't know that there won't be I just uh, you've got to start somewhere and I still think I think it is important to be rational and, and sort of scientific in your thinking and I just don't see I think in the individual patient, yes, there might well be some specificity, but I think it, when you're developing a drug, that's not something that's workable. And so I, for one, have focused on a different approach, as you know, which is trying to um, make a, a, essentially synthesize a leukemia-specific antigen using sort of combination of, of CRISPR gene editing with, with CAR T cells and, and using the transplant as a platform for doing that. Um, and that's how I think you can in fact, credibly, you can. This has been, of course, reproduced by the groups now. You can credibly make a leukemia-specific antigen in that fashion. Yeah. So some of the some of the potential approaches have been uh, using, um, in, especially in pediatrics, focusing on some of these rare fusions, generating novel mm -hmm. antigens. So that's that's probably going to maybe yield a, a beneficial target in a small percentage of pediatric um, AMLs, but probably not too many adult AMLs. And then. 
then the other is um, just a, a really uh, broad-based proteomic approach to AML and looking at not only regular proteins but, ne uh, but um, uh, embryonic antigens, um, modified glycosylation, you know, some of the things that we normally think of as um, being expressed in germ cells like NYESO1 and MUC1 and things like that. That's, those are probably not the best examples, but there are other examples of sort of probably embryonic antigens that may be slightly differentially expressed in these primitive cells that might be targets as well. I don't know what you guys think. I, I'm hopeful that, you know, yes, AML, you know, in, interestingly, AML has one of the least number of mutations, you know, as shown by so many people in some of the pioneering work led by your group. Um, and yet, you know, it's hard. It's hard to treat. We are dealing with very small set of driver mutations, and yet, you know, it, it's, the, it's been the hardest uh, therapeutic challenge. But having said that, um, one of the things which excites me about potentially target new apotopes is that if you can find, um, because most of the cells do maintain uh, ability to, to express stuff on class one and class two, although in post-transplant setting, class two does seem to go down. Um, so most of these mutations potentially, I'm not saying most, but many of these mutations are mutant proteins. There may be new apotopes, there may be new antigens which you could go, but that's not gonna be full panacea or anything, but actually that might sway us towards the TCR-like or TCR mimetic or TCR itself. Such a tough problem and so expensive to dive in. Again, you know, looking at especially try to quantitative uh, quantitate peptides bound to MHC. This is a um, just a big project. Lots of uh, technical expertise. Lots of potential. Uh, issues with um, uh, efficiency of yielding these peptides and measuring them quantitatively and then you know and then really once you find these uh, peptides then you have to determine if anybody could ever generate an immune response to them that's the other thing and I think it's you know there, there's, um, there's an interesting uh, uh, group at the University of Pittsburgh who have been um, developing sort of rapid TCR uh, generation um, very fast Fast, you know, with any kind of peptide-bound MHC, they have a way of screening libraries for uh, TCRs that bind to them. So within days, and then they can actually subclone the TCRs and express them within a few more days. And so, this is potentially a way that you know people could actually, per, for every patient, look at their peptide-bound MHC and then go after potential not not TCRs that are made endogenously, but screening a library of TCRs for ones that bind to these peptide bound MHCs and then you could go technically quickly into the patient but again it's going to be patient per patient which is going to be something that probably most people won't want to develop commercially. I don't know I think that, that that's um, so we, we I, I think I'd say that based on our um, <clears throat> based on our session we there are enormous challenges in targeting AML. Uh, I think that um, it doesn't mean that it's impossible, it just means that we haven't figured it out yet. And it will take a little bit more time. There's probably always some way to, uh, you know, uh, there's many ways to skin a cat and there's probably a way to do this. Uh, and that once you find a way, I mean, you, you, you've obviously demonstrated that it can work in some patients and so there's just a way to figure out how to do it more efficiently and more effectively. And then um, I think this is uh, um, gonna be one of the last frontiers in hematologic malignancy 
malignancies AML, and uh, I think we've done a good job with B-cell malignancies, although we don't succeed all the time, and uh, AML and other diseases um, are going to be uh, really challenges going forward. I, th I think we've made a little bit of progress with some of the other leukemias, CLL, T-cell ALL now. There's a way forward there that um, is being pursued by some, and um, uh, I think even in some solid tumors, you know, the data with MAJ4 and, and synovial cell sarcomas looks quite impressive, and so the, I think progress is being made, and, but I, I think that AML, ironically, even though it's a hematologic malignancy, will be one, and one a, a malignancy associated with the fewest um, neoantigens will be one of the hardest nuts to crack going forward. Um, one other thing I want to comment on, and we, you know, I briefly mentioned it my, in my talk, um, when you know, and we had a patient who um, had exclamatory relapse, and we gave um, highly purified memory-like NK cell, car, or not CAR, but memory-like NK cell product. And then when we did serial biopsies, what was striking was the number of T cells. So there was some pseudo-progression, some inflammation, and I was sure he's progressing. Turns out it was actually NK cell infiltration, which I was excited about, but when we tried to quantify were there more NK cells or T cells, actually T cell infiltration was more um, there than the actual NK cells, and they were predominantly CD8 early on, and then they switched to CD4. Um, and that might tell us something, that immune cells are social like us. We like to be friends with each other. And maybe one of the things we should consider moving forward, and that applies to both hematologic and non-hematologic malignancies, is trying to combine or, or, or um, create constructs which actually will force crosstalk between, or rely more on crosstalk between the immune cells. I, I guess I just want to, um, I, I think that that is uh, uh, maybe a critical observation going forward. The other thing is uh, some of the things that Marion had reviewed in her talk, which were spectacular. She gave a terrific talk. And I, I think this notion of targeting multiple antigens is also going to be potentially uh, uh, transformative transformative in that that could overcome many of the limitations that we find now going after one antigen, not only for antigen escape, but the sync issue and specificity of targeting. And so I think the key for that is to figure out how to target two antigens and, and, and have the signal occur only when both antigens are engaged. That's the, that's the tricky part of it. Um, and there's a, again, there's a ton of stuff going on there, but that's going to take a lot of work, too, to get that more efficient and effective. But I want to thank you all for this session. It was, uh, I, w I really enjoyed it. It was fun hearing everybody, um, everybody talk about AML and some of the uh, advances and challenges going forward. So thanks. Thanks, thank Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and subscribe to VJHemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.